Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania. A single word in black cursive font hangs above a large double-pane window in Terry Roberts' sunroom. It says, Forgiven. The word, and the room itself, a gift built by her Amish neighbors just months after the unimaginable occurred, is a daily reminder of all that she's lost and all that she's gained these past ten years. The simple, quiet, rural life she knew shattered on October 2nd, 2006, when her oldest son, Charles Carl Roberts IV, walked into a one-room Amish schoolhouse on a clear, unseasonably warm Monday morning. The 32-year-old husband and father of three young children ordered the boys and adults to leave, tied up ten little girls between the ages of six and thirteen, and shot them, killing five and injuring the others, before killing himself. Terry Roberts' husband thought they'd have to move far away. He knew what people thought of parents of mass murderers. He believed they would be ostracized in the community, blamed for not knowing the evil their child was capable of. But in the hours after the massacre, as Amish parents still waited in a nearby barn for word about whether their daughters had survived, an Amish man named Henry arrived at the Roberts' home with a message. The families did not see the couple as an enemy. Rather, they saw them as parents who were grieving the loss of their child, too. Henry put his hand on the shoulder of Terry Roberts' husband and called him a friend. The world watched in amazement as, on the day of their son's funeral, nearly 30 Amish men and women, some of the parents of the victims, came to the cemetery and formed a wall to block out media cameras. Parents whose daughters had died at the hand of their son approached the couple after the burial and offered condolences for their loss. Then, just four weeks after the shooting, the couple was invited to meet with all the families in a local fire hall. One mother held Robert's gaze as both women's eyes blurred with tears, she said. They were all grieving. They were all struggling to make sense of the senseless. But the Amish did more than forgive the couple. They embraced them as part of their community. When Roberts underwent treatment for stage four breast cancer in December, one of the girls who survived the massacre helped clean her home before she returned from the hospital. A large yellow bus arrived at her home around Christmas, and Amish children piled inside to sing her Christmas carols. How do we become more human? That's that's what this podcast is all about, and that's what we're trying to discover today. My name is Tyler Kleberger, and I am here with a special guest, because the goal for me is that I, I research, I learn, I discover, I explore, and I take all that stuff and I share it with you all. Uh, but today, the topic that we're getting into is something that I don't have a whole lot of expertise on. And so I, I've invited a special guest who knows a lot about this stuff and also happens to be someone that I've known for quite some time. So today we're going to hear from Bryce Webster, who I met about eight to nine years ago in the sunny land of California. And if if you want to know more about the connection Bryce and I have, you have to look no further than the story of the birth of my, my first child, of which Bryce was quite instrumental. So obviously we have a pretty good connection. 
uh, but we also have a passion for a lot of the same things. And, and Bryce has a, a particular depth of knowledge on, on issues of philosophy and social justice. And so today, that's what, that's what we're going to try to bring to the table. We're, we're hoping to dive into some stuff. And, and you know, I'm going to be honest, I'm here to facilitate today. I, I don't have a whole lot to add. Yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to be here and to, to share some things that are important to me in a space that's important to you. Yeah. And to just work this out together. This is going to be fun. So we're going to get started with uh, just going real broad because this issue that we're going to cover today, what is justice and, and what does this have to do with how we live day-to-day life? This can get real deep real quick. And um, I think we should begin by being honest that we are not going to cover everything. Yeah. So I think almost every philosopher that's known to history throughout all of time has said something about this. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're not going to get into all of that. And and it's not only philosophy, it, there's psychology, there's sociology, there's anthropology, there's politics, there's economics, there's so many directions this could go. So we're going to try to paint a broad picture. And then we're going to start getting into some specifics. And hopefully by by the end of all of this content on justice, we actually see that this concept is absolutely integral to everything we do every single day. So let's just begin with the the broad the broad stroke of this. What what is justice? I think that's a a question I know for myself that I've contemplated a lot, especially as I got older, especially as I I've had kids. Um but specifically as I studied philosophy in my bachelor's degree, I was really gra- I was really kind of obsessed with the idea of justice and what mm-hmm. that meant for my life. Um, but specifically something that stood out for me was uh, in The Republic that Plato wrote. Uh, he sets out to answer two questions. And it, it's, a, it's a long couple book succession of working out what justice is. But in the first book... Um, He asks the question, what is justice and why should we be just? Uh, So while among a group of friends and enemies, he poses the question, what is justice? He proceeds to then refute every suggestion offered, showing how each harbors hidden contradictions or things that don't make sense. Yet he offers uh, a definition of his own that's that's different than, than the other uh, suggestions that his friends had given him. So f- the first person that suggests what justice is is Caliphus. And he's a well-respected leader in the city, and for him, justice means living up to your legal obligation and being honest to those around you. Now, I I just love this image, and this is this is something you see with Socrates all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Plato's kind of writing about his his mentor and teacher Socrates and you get these depictions where you know Socrates just wanted to put everybody in their place yeah oh yeah the absolutely guy, the guy's brilliant yeah yep. so I love this image of you're we're talking about like one of the most abstract yet important and practical elements of being human with other humans and uh, Socrates is like, okay, yeah, you, uh, tell me your thing. Okay, and here's why you're wrong. Yeah. So um, is it, it well, what's the guy's name? His name is Cephalus. Okay. So he's he's talking, he gives his uh, theory or 
definition of justice. And I think most people would hear you say that and they go, eh, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem about right. right yeah. But Socrates sort of exposes some, some of the just theoretical problems with what, with what he just said. So what's wrong with, with uh, his definition? So Socrates uh, comes back with, uh, to, to this suggestion of justice with a counterexample. And he says, think about returning a, a weapon to a madman. You owe the madman this weapon in some sense, uh, if it belongs to him legally, and yet this would appear to be an unjust act since it would jeopardize the life of lives of other people around you. Yeah. So he's kind of saying if if justice is based on doing the right thing legally, I think it was uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, and uh, he, he's talking about like moral development theory and he, he calls it the methods of moral reasoning. This is sort of the rule based method. So whatever's legal, that's what you have to do. So Socrates says, okay, so you're going to, you, you have the knife of a madman it, legally. You gotta give that back. Well, what's that madman going to do with the knife? And that's kind of where this goes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Right. So you, you're going to, you're going to give this guy back the knife and he's just going to go kill more people. So that's not justice. And that kind of subverts the idea that to do something just is to do whatever the law says. Because what if the law is wrong? What if the law is not uh, the best moral example of what to do? I like that. All right. Yeah. So so conversation keeps going? Conversation keeps going. And, and this guy actually leaves the conversation to go watch some sacrifices being done okay. <laughs> of the people in the town. It's uh, a different time. It is a very different time. So his son comes in. Uh, Paul Marcus, and he takes over the argument. His argument goes in a completely more... It kind of takes the idea that he had and just cuts out all the fat and straightforward. And he says that uh, the argument he lays out is that justice means that you owe uh, friends help, but you owe enemies harm. Hmm. So anybody who's not a friend of you, you help. You don't help them. You'll harm them. You do everything to protect your inner circle Mm -hmm. and that inner circle is the justice that you give to them is the things that they need help wise if they need certain certain things on their daily basis Uh certain things to help them function what's interesting about this is it it portrays justice not just as a legal thing but uh there's potential things that you can do that are good that are just, right? So your, your friend needs help with something. Maybe you're fixing something. But then you want to do your enemy's harm. Um, that part is not something that we would normally co- call justice right. unless your enemies did something and now you have to get vengeance on them or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be much of a distinction between why you're causing harm to those people. Yeah. And what I find interesting about this one is the only distinction of justice is how it happens to suit where you happen to be in right. the world. I find it interesting that after all all Plato's writings, the Stoics come around and, and they talk about this de- idea of oikiosis and uh, cosmopolitan, cosmopolitanism and, and understanding that everybody in the world is actually part of your inner circle. And to, so you want to treat the inner circle like mm-hmm. the outer circle. I never connected that with justice before. Right. Okay, so then then you have you have that argument. It keeps going. So where does it go next? So then this guy Thrasymachus 
says that justice is nothing more than the advantage of the stronger. Hmm. So justice, uh, just behavior works to the advantage of other people, uh, not to the person who behaves justly. So it's almost kind of like a what some people would approach with a Darwinian understanding of the world is like the strongest survive. Yeah. The so he 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 says that assumes that justice is an unnatural restraint on our natural desire to have more. Yeah, there's some Freudian stuff there yeah. as well. Yeah, he seems from everything I understand, everything I've read, his his viewpoint on justice was pretty drastic for the time period. Um, okay. And then he says, justice is a convention imposed on us, and it does not benefit us to adhere to it. The rational thing to do is to ignore justice entirely. Hmm. Which that, is a really weird thing to say that this is what justice is, but then to ignore that. Yeah, so he's saying that justice is actually not good for the person. Right. This sounds very Epicurean to me, mm-hmm. and I don't know if the Epicureans were influenced by this at all. I, I have no idea, but like the Epicurean idea that you pursue pleasure, you want to avoid suffering, and if doing justice is unnatural to uh, what you're supposed to exist as, well, don't do justice because that's not going right. to bring you pleasure. It's going to make things harder for you. Avoid it. Mm. But he also seems to be, it's almost, you know, we've been talking about Marx a lot this week. It's almost kind of Marxist, like the ruling class oh, yeah, benefits absolutely. from you doing this thing that's unnatural. So don't do it. You know, rebel against that system. It would almost be that I think Marx would take up a a problem with what he's saying because oh, yeah? the stuff that Thrasmicus is saying is that the 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 people that are in a, a higher position of power are of course going to subject those who are below them to whatever they want because they have that power to do so, which I think is something that actually Marx would would push against yeah. in his class society and, okay. and and things of that nature. Okay, so so Plato's writing about this. Um, where do, what does Plato end up telling us that justice is, according to Socrates? So Plato really thinks that these guys aren't going far enough to talk about it, that okay. it's these external things that are done uh, upon other people or for other people or for the self. Okay. So he, he kind of takes it inwardly. And for Plato, um, I guess to put it more succinctly, Plato argues that justice is to the soul as health is to the body. Uh he says that justice does not depend on chance or convention or external force. Justice is the right condition of the human soul and the very nature of man when seen in the fullness of his environment. And All right. Translate that for me. Translate that. So part of the struggle or the desire within philosophy during that time period was to ask the questions, what is it to be good? What is it to be just? What is it to be someone that desires things that are not always material? So for him, it's, it, it is something that you do on the outside. It is something that's an action done. It can be an action done towards someone else. But it has to originate. Some of some part of you on the inside is the impetus for where those just actions come from. I wonder, does this have anything to do with Plato's uh, theory of forms? I know it's something that I've talked about before, but I, I remember 
Plato, one of the examples that he uses is that there's an ideal form of justice. So is this kind of saying that if you're a reasonable person and you're a wise person, then you're going to be closer to the ideal form of justice and you're going to find that internally yeah. and then it'll manifest externally? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, one thing from from the Judeo-Christian tradition, the idea of justice, because you... If you read any part of the the uh, Hebrew scriptures, you're going to come across the word a lot. Um, and and the idea of justice is like setting things right, putting things right. And the problem with that is, well, what is what is right? What does that even mean? And how do you put them put them there? So <clears throat> we're going to like fast forward a lot right now. <laughs> so that was that was like reaching back to the ancients to try to get an idea of this. The concept of justice is tricky. It's complex. It's complicated. There's no easy answer to this. But if you have this notion of um, how did, how did you phrase that? Health for the body. I said justice is the yeah. soul. As health is for the body. So so there's this this right accord that you have to have internally that's going to interact externally. All right. So if we if we can have this notion, there's a proper way to have the world set, and you're a part of that. Um, if we fast forward a bunch, now now we can start getting into, like, so how do you actually do that? And so we wanted to talk about the two main ways that this is uh, approached. And, and it's not even two main ways. It's really one way, and then there's another way that nobody ever really talks about. Um, and I think the first one mm-hmm. is going to be really recognizable, even if you don't know the name for it. Um, so tell us about the, the most common way people approach the idea of justice. So the most common way that people approach the concept of justice is through what we call retributive justice. So when you hear the phrase, they will be brought to justice or justice will be served, this is the kind of justice that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So retributive justice is a system of justice that's premise is based on the punishment of the offender rather than rehabilitation. Yeah, and so the easiest way to see this is... Um, like within a nation state, mm. you have a justice system. Right? That's, that's even what we call it. And, and one of the things I hope that we're going to reveal here is that justice is usually thought about as uh, retributive justice. And they're made into synonyms. But mm-hmm. retributive justice, it's just one kind. It's right. just one option within that. It's just incredibly normative for us. So there's not a whole lot of discussion on, hey, are there other other options here? Um, so I, I think this is what we're familiar with. But it, I also want to point out, it's not just the court system, right? It's, right. You know, somebody cuts you off and you respond by tailgating them. And you go, hey, guy, I got justice there. Now, that's retributive justice, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Okay, so how, how does re, uh, retributive justice work? So there are three like main principles that are necessary uh, to understand retributive justice correctly. The first one is those who commit certain kinds of wrongful acts or serious crimes morally deserve to suffer a proportionate res- uh, punishment. So the death penalty, for example, is, a, is, a, is an approach that a lot of people take when you've done this to this person. So yeah, you, we, you killed somebody. Right. And so now you're going to be killed. Right. Okay. You've taken a life, so we're taking yours. And, and that's an approach. It's sort of revenge. It's We're going to set things right mm-hmm. by 
uh, equating what you did and, and causing the same infliction to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the second point is it's intrinsically morally good. It's good without reference to any other goods that might arise if some legitimate punisher gives them the punishment they deserve. Okay, what do you mean by uh, the, the good part? So it, it's, it's intrinsically morally good. So that's saying that the, the act of revenge or infliction towards a person, that's a good thing? Is that what that means? Yeah, I think that it's the, the act of wanting to acknowledge what happened hmm. with the, crime, the punishment that's given to the person who committed it. Is yeah. seen as what's morally good, but that's where they have to enter in that phrase of a legitimate punishment right. punisher, and who gets to decide who the legitimate punisher is? Right. That that that's a part where that starts getting shaky for me. It, well, of course, it gets shaky to people like us who can have these philosophical conversations. Okay. But for a lot of people outside this bubble, the legitimacy yeah. comes in the fact that it's a judge, that it's a jury, that an officer decided right. to do this, or Anything of that yeah, nature. Yeah, and that, I find that interesting within the conversation of like a jury. And we look back at um, sort of the abolitionist movement and, and we see there's a, there's a lot of juries that were kind of stacked and it only represented one kind of people. And, and so it wasn't, you know, we, today we would be like, well, that's not legitimate. To them, it was completely legitimate. Or, or you look back uh, into like divine right rule, the monarchs say is legitimate. Well, Today, like if you're in any kind of republic or democracy, no, they don't get to decide everything. So the idea of legitimacy is not necessarily agreed upon. Mm-hmm. And that's not just with big governmental issues. Right. Uh, that's, you know, somebody cuts you off and I, I'm the legitimate punisher. I'm going to tailgate this guy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's right. Right. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it's just kind of going like, well, why, why do you get to decide that? Right. Well, it, it's interesting, yeah. too, though, because you think of the culture that we find ourselves in with movies and social media and stuff like that, like this idea of justice is normal for us. Yeah. It's something that's, we've, we see it all the time. We, we understand it, but we don't really give language to it for a lot of times for just everyday people. Cause we don't talk about it. The, the best way I've heard this kind of thing discussed in a very pop culture reference is Popeye. Mm. So Walter Wink, who's a theologian. Oh yeah. Yep. Talks about how if you if you watch and he he says if you watch most cartoons you know and I'm thinking like the cartoons I grew up with in the 80s and 90s mm. you watch most of, most of those and you're seeing retributive justice right right, right. Like, absolutely uh, uh, olive oil gets stolen and so Popeye goes in and he eats the spinach and what's the guy's name I forget the I don't even remember the guy's name you all know who I'm talking about um, but yeah that's a that's the uh, retributive justice and Popeye in that example is a legitimate punisher in doing what is morally good to set things right. I mean, it's, it's all following the rules so far. All right. So rule number three, what's that? It's uh rule number three is that it is morally impermissible to intentionally punish the innocent or to inflict disproportionately large punishments on wrongdoers. So it's the idea that the, punishment should fit the crime yeah which it, it shouldn't be excessive it hasn't always been the case in history 90 percent of the time it it's still it's not and to be bold and to say a lot of that depends on where you come from what color your skin is sure your background 
who your family is. All that stuff's always taken into consideration with that stuff. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's it's helpful to go like, so we're, we are kind of implying retributive justice might not be the best approach ideally. Right. But here you go. It's kind of a step forward from some ways that people have approached this issue over time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the whole uh, eye for eye mm-hmm. concept, right? right. Um, that it's equal in proportion. Mm. And, and that itself is a good check. Now, you know, we might say it's not, it's not going far enough, um, but that's interesting to think about. That you know, maybe this is actually trying to do something correct. So it's easy to to, you know, show the red flags of right. of this idea, but there's some good stuff in it, and, and and I think that's worth considering. Absolutely, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the attraction of retributive justice for people, or the sexiness, if you will, of retributive justice is that a lot of times it's intuitive. Okay, what do you mean by that? I think, I mean, from when you're a child, when you're younger, and your brother hits you, and you're upset, and you feel like there should be a punishment for him hitting you mm-hmm. because he caused you pain because he took away something from you or you lost something. There's a, from a, even from a young age, there's a sense of loss that happens that you want to have restored yeah you want to make it right yeah you want to make it right that's interesting to think about that we do have a sort of intuition toward something happens that we feel is wrong and we want to make it right and what what this is what you're saying Mm -hmm. retributive justice does is it gives us a platform to uh make things right right to make things different from the wrong that happened uh that that that's interesting to think about um now, I we pointed out that retributive justice, this is kind of the model by which most things function. Mm-hmm. And that's oh, yeah. legally, um, that's governmentally, but that's even relationally. Yeah, this is I was just going to say that. How we approach things. Um, what you want to, s- to make a point on is that that's not the only way. No. So if... if Retributive justice, and and I think I might go out uh, on a limb and say there's probably times where this is helpful to have. Sure, situations where I'm I'm glad that we made this stride and we're not functioning, you know, like eighth century BCE Assyria. Right, right, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, right. But so what's what's a different way to approach this? And, and this is one that we don't normally hear talked about. So the other way to talk about justice is to talk about restorative justice. Uh, mostly like you heard in the the story that Tyler read in the beginning. It's an idea that uh, justice emphasizes repairing the harm caused by certain behavior uh, in such a manner that all parties affected by the the action committed uh, are present and heard. So everybody's story matters in that. Not saying that the the victim's story doesn't matter because the, the person who perpetrated the act is mm-hmm. being listened to. It doesn't negate that. Yeah. But it argues that from the start. One one thing that I think gets neglected in this conversation, like I, I know there's phrases within different traditions of like, you know, save some grace for the one who pulled the trigger. Um, that when somebody commits a senseless act, there's something wrong there that needs to be set right. And so, yeah, we can move past retributive and go, you know, like, be compassionate, have grace, show mercy. But this isn't senseless. There's actually a reason why you might want to do this. And I think the Amish example is, uh, is a good one. 
um, them forgiving that family isn't just them being nice. They understand that they are intrinsically interdependent with that family. The, 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 those are people who are going to continue to affect right. things. Yeah. So if our only response is to punish them, even if it's only in equal proportion to the thing they did, that's not actually helping as the narrative of that community or place or civilization, whatever moves forward. Um, so this isn't just like, hey, be a nice person. It's understand that when something goes wrong, whatever's going to happen to that person who did the wrong is going to continue to implicate how things are going to go for all of us. So we might want to pay attention to that. Now, with restorative justice, there's there's some kind of undergirding principles um, that help shape how we think about this. So, so how should we understand restorative justice? So there's three, like Tyler said, there's three main principles for understanding restorative justice. Um, crimes or acts that cause harm, and, uh, and j- the, this kind of justice focuses on repairing that harm. What, what do you mean by uh, repairing the harm? Uh, Something's lost when a crime or um, trauma is committed against somebody else okay. in both people. There's something that that goes missing when, say, your brother steals something from you or takes something from you or somebody, you know, m- murders your child. Yeah, could you fit this within the uh, the Amish story? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so how, tell us how, like, what what the the Amish response to that family is, and, and how that repairs the harm. Well, even on both sides, because if you, if you understand more of the background of the story, one, it's it wasn't just one act that they did. They didn't just go to the funeral right, right, and right. then go, okay, we've restored justice. Yeah. We've restored what was lost. It's continuing. It's ongoing. It's something that. They've so, worked at. So the murder of uh, members of the Amish community caused harm. It caused a fracture. Mm-hmm. And the continued relationship repairs that fractured yeah, relationship. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing okay, for so both that, people. And, and that's the goal, which if they understand this within the context of interdependence, like we, we need things to go well between us because we kind of depend on each right. other. You want to repair that. You want to put that back mm-hmm. together. Okay, that yep. makes sense. So the second principle is that people most affected by the crime or action should be able to participate in the resolution. So it's not getting rid of the judges. It's not getting rid or saying that those things are bad that you find in retributive justice. But it's something, it's acknowledging the reality or the humanness within everybody that's affected by the action, no matter how removed they might be from the situation. Yeah, and um, in in conflict resolution, this is actually one of the really mm-hmm. important parts that anybody who's affected should um, be able to contribute to. And you actually see this in the court system in some ways, sure. maybe a little bit uh, too formal, but the the, the calling of witnesses, and, mm-hmm. um, there you, you see that a little bit. So there's some crossover here, but it's an adamant thing here that right. everyone should be able to be at the table to have the conversation on what needs to happen next. And that includes the people who did the wrong. Right. Yeah, that, that's interesting to think about. And um, I can see some people kind of rebelling against that and, and going the, the Popeye route of like, no, 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 no. They lost that ability. But if you start from an interdependent perspective, 
you you need that person's voice because you're going to have to figure right. this out as you go. Right, because at some point you're going to hear it. Right, right. Okay. The third resp- uh, The third principle is the responsibility of the government is to maintain order, and the main responsibility of the community is to remain is maintain peace. Uh, I think a lot of of that gets lost in restorative justice when you talk about restorative justice. Is that it's one retributive justice is government oriented, and two restorative justice. Is yeah, so just the community, just the people. There's no. Th- this is saying the government formality. plays a role. Yeah, the, the government is is should be involved in this, and a lot of times, and there are a lot of cases within the the retributive justice system where lawyers will agree to have a mediation instead of going to see a judge. Right, right, right. Right. So it's that okay. action that they're maintaining order by having it be official and having those conversations that are recorded and. And ideally, having um, some sort of authoritative voice in place that can facilitate the restoration is going to be helpful. Right. And then the maintaining of the peace by the communities, what happens after that action or after that decision's been made throughout time? Now, the biggest thing I'm noticing that's a difference between these two is they have different goals Hmm. or or standards. And, And the first thing is seeing that whoever the people involved are, there's a dependence on one another. There's a mutuality. Um, and you can make a social psychology point for that. You can make a biological point for that, that um, human beings are connected in some way. That what you do is going to affect me. What I do is going to affect you. And so if something is done wrong in the midst of us, that's we need to handle that with everyone involved, where retributive is kind of seeing us as separate other and so you as some two-dimensional object that's something that impacts me i just need to somehow deal with you so that i'm better and and restorative justice says no me me being better me being healthy etc it's going to involve you right so we got to figure that out and the other the other thing that i noticed that is a difference is restorative justice sees and maybe this is built into the name restoration, or, or as you say here, peace, um, there's, there's a goal there that mm-hmm. despite whatever circumstances happen, we still have to keep moving towards that goal. And something I talk a lot about on the podcast is teleology. Right. That there's some sort of vision, some sort of culmination that should be shaping what we do now. And it seems like if we're going to follow that train of thought, that restorative justice would be the best way to move towards teleology, right. uh, especially a teleology of something like peace or shalom or all the things that I've talked about previously on the podcast. Um, now, I, as we were talking about this, you had mentioned um, thinking about restorative justice as having four posts, mm-hmm. like a building? Yeah, what, four corner posts okay. of, of a building. And each one of them are entirely important to the the wholeness of restorative justice. So one is the inclusion of all parties like we've been talking about. Both the victim and the offender are present and people who are affected in, in any way, shape, or form are all included in uh, the conversation, in the, in the acts to work towards restoring what was lost. Um, the second mm-hmm. part is encountering the other side. Mainly listening to the story, trying to put yourself in that person's shoes to try to understand what it is they might be going through in this situation, and they do the same thing for you. 
right? which I yeah. think sometimes is is difficult for a lot of us. Yeah, to, so the, to find but, ourselves. But again, in that, that space. interdependence, the relationship is important, right? And and you know, just as you're saying, these like this is all good conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. I'm actually wondering if the whole concept of conflict or, or maybe the concept of restorative justice is actually uh, implied within healthy conflict resolution. I'll have to think more about that. But these are these are very similar to, to mm-hmm. some of those points. Okay, so All what's right. the third one? So the third one is making amends for the harm caused. So the offender commits to working both physically and emotionally to repair the damage that is caused. There's an acknowledgement in that person's deciding to say, this is something I'm going to work towards um, writing in such a way. Not that it can bring back what was lost, but it's an acknowledgement of what they've done. And you look at the Amish story. What continues on that we didn't talk about in the beginning is the, the mother of the guy who shot the children would go to the houses of the kids that were affected. And one of the girls was shot in such a way where she became quadriplegic and had no ability to feed herself or to do any of that stuff. And so for years she would just spend time feeding the kids and and trying to rehabilitate them in any way that she possibly could. Uh, And then the fourth and final one is the reintegration of the parties into their communities. The, uh, so it's like the offender's longevity is considered as much as the victims. They aren't. No one's left out to dry. No mm-hmm. one's. No one's future is forgotten. The the goal of making sure that the the offender is held accountable is is really important. And the and the goal isn't to just destroy them so they can't ever have a way of coming back into society and being a vital part of society. It's holding the two kind of hand-in-hand of, yes, they did something wrong, and they need to be held accountable for that. But at some point, they're going to have to be a part of this community if they're still around. Yeah. And we can't destroy them completely, which you don't always find in retributive justice. Right. So I have a couple thoughts. Some of these are going to elicit more conversation. Um, But one of the things I think of, somebody maybe hearing this and going... Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. Mm-hmm. And I think within maybe what I want to be clear is what's not being said is that uh, you shouldn't make yourself vulnerable to somebody who's going to hurt you. Oh, no. Like there's 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 still a place for boundaries. And when we talk about um, some sort of entity that helps to maintain order as peace is pursued, yeah, that that's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a position where you're you're the victim of something, it's not your job to just try to make everybody happy. No, not That's at not all. That's not what's being said with restorative justice. Um, but one of the concepts that comes to mind for me is this idea of uh, within social communication theory, there's a, an understanding that there's two forms of peace, just kind of like we're saying there's two forms of justice, and it's negative peace and positive peace. You know, we think of the word peace, and that can mean a whole bunch of things. Similarly, the word love can mean a whole bunch of things. Um, so negative peace is just the absence of conflict. And so as long as I'm happy, you're over there, you're happy, we're at peace. You know, two countries aren't at war, then they have peace. And what positive peace says is, no, 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 no. Just because there's an absence of something being wrong doesn't mean that everything's good. And so it pushes for... Um, 
peace is actually when all things are in their right place. And I actually think that might be a good way to look at justice. Mm, And so, you know, this issue isn't just like, hey, something didn't go the way you wanted, so are you going to use retributive justice or restorative? I think it's also, if things aren't the way that they ought to be right now, and you still have to do really diligent philosophical work of determining what how things ought to be. But if they're not, your job in justice is to help move that a little bit closer. And how do you do that? Well, do you do retributive or do you, do you work in a way where all of the people involved have a place to help move things along and dealing with the junk that comes up in the process? Because I think it's real easy for us to hear these concepts of justice and go, oh, so when a legal issue happens, we get to decide whether it's retributive or restorative. And I really think this stuff comes up every day. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is this is the conflicts that ebb their way into our lives all the time. And we need to think about a lot of this is your disposition towards the other. So you get in a fight with your spouse and they do something that pisses you off. Are you going to act retributively? you know, set things right by putting them in the place that you've decided because you're the legitimate punisher. <laughs> right. You know, or, or is it, all right, so this went wrong and you and I, we got to figure this out together. So, so let's do the hard work. This is very relational mm-hmm. in a way. Um, and the final thing that comes to mind, you know, we brought up Popeye in Retributive Justice. And, and there's a phrase that gets used sometimes. And again, Walter Wink, if you're looking for more on this is, Uh, a great resource for this, but it's called the myth of redemptive violence. And when you talk about retributive violence, I think one of the, you know, if we were to ask why is restorative better than retributive, it's because uh, retributive justice doesn't actually fix anything. It doesn't, I love that you use the word repair. Mm -hmm. It doesn't repair anything. It might stop a wrong from happening, but the, the idea of the myth of redemptive violence is that violence, uh, it can't redeem a situation. So, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic. I know this is a banal metaphor, but hmm. somebody cuts you off in traffic and you go, I'm going to tailgate them. I'm going to put them in their place. And now you tailgate them and now they go, some idiot's tailgating me. I'm going to slam on my brakes and put them in their proper place. And then you get a car accident, and then you're in the car accident, and you go, that guy cut me off, and he slammed on his brakes just because I was tailgating him. And so now I'm going to take him to court. And it's just this cycle that just keeps on going, and it doesn't actually repair anything. And the notion that if you're getting vengeance on somebody, especially if it's violent and that's physical, that's emotional, that's mental, whatever that looks like, you now give them a reason to get revenge on you. And then they get revenge on you. And now you have a reason to get revenge on them. And it just keeps on going back and forth. What restorative justice says is goes, all right, so this happened. How do both of us or all of us work in a way to make sure this doesn't happen again and move forward a little bit? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that difference is really important, whether you're talking about things like war uh, and, and, and global economic issues, or you're talking about things like fighting with your spouse. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of times when you have to look at, at least for me, when I was learning this stuff and I was studying it, there is a, an aspect to, at least for me, restorative justice that you have to, 
you have to give up a lot of maybe just the selfish things or selfish desires that you have. With my wife, we have we're very different people. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times what she wants might not be what I want. Or if I hurt her in some way, I don't get to just make a decision and be like, because you did this, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to sit down and have a conversation with her and understand that in this moment, the best thing that might move or happen to restore what was lost by whether whatever she did or whatever I did might not look like what I want in that moment. Right. But that it's still it's still important and will still repair whatever I lost if it gives something back to her that she feels like she lost, right? So so yeah. repairing that, it's retributive justice seems to me sometimes to just be the quick fix. And that restorative justice is a, a way of sitting down and, and being taking more time and being slower and trying to make sure that the best decision possible is made for all people. Yeah, it kind of moves past what's good for me and understands that what is good for all of us involved is also probably good for me. Right. So it's collective, and, and it's still kind of selfish. It's saying that the the interests of all are also my interests. And this is a whole, you know, we're starting to get into a, a notion of how do you view how the world works. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those those deeper conversations are worth the time in the practical sense. You know, you're going, any situation you're in, you're either doing retributive or restorative. Yep. You're you already doing these things, even mm-hmm. if you didn't know they had names. It's probably helpful to pay attention to which one you tend to choose. But we have yet to talk about a form of justice um, that is very particular to the Christian tradition mm-hmm. um, and, and goes further than both of these. So, so just on the surface, you know, talking about theory, yeah, restorative justice in becoming human, you know, that's, that's what we really want to get into. Um, but uh, the next episode, we're, we're going to look at a, an even further way to, to view this. And, and it's going to have some metaphysical implications, and um, that's something that we've talked about before. But I, I really love where this goes and the kind of things that it challenges us on, because we even within restorative and retributive justice, there's a lot of assumptions we just made. You know? oh, yeah. And it's not just who's the legitimate punisher. It all goes back to how do you know what is just? You know, you're saying something went wrong. How do you know that's wrong? You're trying to set things right. Well, how do you know what is right? There's got to be something else at play here that's informing how we even make these decisions at all. So we're going to get into that the next time. Um, For now, I would just challenge you all to, uh, you know, the next time you're driving in your car, whatever situation (laughs) it is, and you find yourself going, I'm going to bring justice here. (laughs) Think about what, what do you mean by that? And what's the outcome when you do it is it retributive or is it restorative i hope you enjoyed the show we'll see you next time